0: God said, I need somebody strong enough to clear trees and heave bales, yet gentle enough to yean lambs and wean pigs and tend to pink-foam pullets who will stop his mower for an hour to splint the broken leg of a meadowlark. So God made a farmer.
1: Hello and welcome to the Modern Homesteading Podcast. I'm your host, Harold Thornbrough, and this is episode 137, April 19th, 2020, and glad you're joining me today. And I've uh, got a great one for you today. I'm going to be joined by uh, Brian Wells. Now, Brian is the host of the Homestead Journey podcast, so he's no stranger to podcasting, but he just has a lot to offer. And uh, he's he started a few months ago uh, podcasting, and we'll talk a little bit about that in the interview. But before we jump into that, as usual, I like to talk about a little bit of the things going on around here. And it's been a, it's been pretty, uh, it's been pretty strange for me because I've been off of work due to the COVID-19 pandemic. And, uh, I've been off for over a month now and and look like I got probably about three more weeks before I go back to work. So yeah, lots of, lots of time on my hands. Uh, and during that time, I, you know, I kind of had to move some fence over on my property to kind of make some room for some more beds. I built five new raised beds on my property. And, uh, you know, I'm just trying to get ahead on some podcast episodes. I recorded a couple this week and got a couple more, uh, that, uh, of interviews I have uh, to do. And I've just been catching up on a lot of home maintenance all while being really frugal because of the lack of, of income right now. Um, you know, I was able to draw unemployment, uh, but it's just a portion of what you, uh, you make and, uh, still waiting on, you know, everybody's getting their stimulus checks, but I didn't get mine. And for whatever reason, I didn't get one and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, that's fine. I didn't put my hopes and prayers in that. I really didn't. And uh, who knows if I'll get one later date. I probably will. But, you know, it isn't really helping right now. So, you know, I thought, well, this is a good time to just do a lot of things. And it's going to be kind of frugal about it, as we should be anyway, and, uh, and do a lot of things. So it's really given me an opportunity to do some stuff online, do some stuff on the property, and just kind of get caught up on some things. So that's been kind of fun. I did put together a patreon page i many of you know and many of you were part of the membership i used to have and i just didn't want to go down that path again as we've kind of rebooted this podcast and kind of came back full full blown again but i did want to have a way to pay for things and to kind of keep the thing going and support it and i'm going to do that through a patreon page if you don't know what patreon is i actually wrote a post about it on on my website at heraldthornbrough.com you can go check that out and it's just a way for your uh people to support their favorite content creators. If you like what they're doing, uh, you can support them w- you know, with a minimal amount of money per month. And it gives us an opportunity as content creators to give something back. So f- for example, for me, um, I'll be doing bonus episodes um, in there. So there'll be some episodes that you'll get in there that nobody else will get. Also, you'll get all that in one podcast feed. You'll get the public and the, the private podcast all in the same feed. Cause you get your own private feed when you become a member of the uh, Patreon page and you get that RSS feed that you can plug into your favorite player and it'll automatically update with, with both the public episodes and the private episodes. And that'll be your own private feed. Uh, Also uh, I'm giving anybody who uh, signs up to be a patron is what they would call it. They're a member of that page uh, to support this podcast. Also gets a free PDF copy of my book from home to small town homestead. And it's just the book that I wrote a while back about, you know, what led me into this, uh, uh, this journey and, uh, just how you could kind of follow the same path. If you live in a, you know, a place that isn't ideal for homesteading, say a, an urban lot or a suburban lot, it, it, you know, and there's, there's things in there that would, you know, uh, still apply if you live on a, in a larger, uh, uh, space as well, but it's really just about helping people get started right where they are right now. So it's a good little book for that. And uh, you get a free PDF copy of that for joining. And also, there's discounts in there for other suppliers for Homestead uh, products, and there'll just be other posts in there uh, that will only be there. There'll be some, you'll probably see pictures and a few videos and, you know, and things like that that you'll also get on that page that you won't see anywhere else. So that's kind of what it's all about. It's just a way for me to kind of keep this thing going and, uh, you know, providing a little something extra for other people. And at the same time, you know, being able to, you know, make, make the most of this and, and really make it something big again. You know, this, this thing took quite a hit when I shut it down for a few months there. And I'll, many of you know, that story we won't rehash that. You can go back and listen to the past episodes about that. But, uh, you know, I want to bring it back strong. You know, I think a lot of people, uh, really wanted this podcast and I enjoy doing it. I love it. But, uh, you know, this is a way to, to kind of build something out of it beyond, you know, just, uh, every week podcast or every couple week podcast. So I'd kind of like to bring it back strong. I really wasn't going to at first, but you know, I've had a lot of time on my hands and I thought what a great opportunity to just really build this thing up and go full, full blast with it again. So all that, uh, aside, let's just jump right into our interview with Brian Wells from the Homestead Journey podcast. I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. Well, today I got, uh, Brian from the Homestead Journey podcast on with me, uh, Uh, Brian, welcome to the Modern Homesteading Podcast.
0: Thank you. It is an absolute pleasure to be
1: here. Well, I'm really glad to have you on. I mean, I've been listening to your podcast for just a little while now. A couple, I've probably only been maybe listening to it. I think I found it maybe about three months ago and started listening to it and really have really been enjoying all the stuff you've got going on. And you're just real consistent about putting out episodes. And, uh, sounds like you got quite a little homestead there. So I'd kind of like to hear a little bit more about all the things you're doing there. So could you just take, maybe take a couple minutes and, uh, let the listeners know a little bit about you and maybe a little bit about your homestead?
0: Sure. Um, we live on uh, a little over two acres. And as I refer to it on just about every episode, I think my last episode, I missed it, but I always refer to it as beautiful upstate New York. Yeah. Um, and it is absolutely beautiful here. I, I, I love this area. We are, um, just, uh, north of Albany, New York mm-hmm. and uh, right on the Vermont border. And, um, it's a very agricultural area. I think our county has More cows than it has people, (laughs)
1: Um, and uh, as as it should be, right?
0: (laughs) Exactly, absolutely. Um, And we've been on this piece of property now for I'm let's see, bought it in 2008, so what's that? Going on 12 years now, Mm -hmm. and uh, you know, it is one of those situations where we moved back to this area to be close to my grandfather, and he was you know up in years. Starting to have some health problems, and um, we, we moved back to this area with the idea that we would spend six months with him, and then uh, we would buy a house and kind of be close enough, but yet yeah, far enough away. And we ended up um, having uh, spending eighteen months with him, which ended up being really a great thing for us because that's really where I discovered that I had a love for doing these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And, and so we we purchased this. Um, property, which we could see my grandfather's house from the end of the driveway. Uh, but it was, it was kind of one of those situations when we bought it. It's not like we had this grand scheme of homesteading, um, because at that point I didn't even connect homesteading with what we were doing. Uh, to me, this was just the way we lived life because I, I really grew up in it. Yeah. So anyhow, we've been here again for a little over 12 years, a little over two acres. And, uh, now we have, uh, you know, we're doing American guinea hogs, chickens, uh, ducks, geese, turkeys, meat rabbits, I'm trying to think what else. Uh, we've got gardens. Um, so we've really jumped in, into it. and It's really grown. Really? I think it I, sounds
1: like it. Yeah.
0: What really got us going um, was the, when we bought the American guinea hogs in 2017. That's really where I discovered a name for what we're doing. Um that, that was the first time we associated with the way we lived life with the term homesteading and
1: yeah. um so yeah, now it, we, go ahead. you keep saying we is it are you married and have kids and, and you got a family there or?
0: yeah, it's uh my
1: wife, and
0: uh we have a fifteen year old son um and okay. he's somebody who he loves the chickens, the chickens are his jam it's uh um something that he really when he was i think about five or six, we were keeping the chickens out of my grandfather's house and uh, my wife and I were down there working in the garden my grandfather had a beautiful area it was about a quarter of an acre size garden that uh, we had access to to grow in up until about 2013 and so we were down there working in the garden and my son disappeared and uh, we went looking for him and found him in the chicken coop and he was talking to the chickens and, uh, <laughs> just fell in love with him and that's just really been his his thing ever since and he shows chickens every year at the fair and has won you know n- numerous awards showing chickens so that's that's his thing the rest of it he tolerates um mm-hmm. he'll help me if i ask him but uh, the chickens he absolutely loves
1: now uh you how many acres are you on it's a little over two acres so it's like 2.1 chicks mm-hmm. i think yeah
0: um but like yeah. i think about a, a little over an acre of it is wooded and
1: Oh wow! Great, yeah.
0: It's well, it, great. Yes and no, great, <laughs> because <laughs> this where we live at. It used to be a limestone quarry, and mm-hmm. um, well, this we, we live on a place called Bald Mountain, and and the reason why is because they cut the top of the mountain off and produced lime here hundred years ago, and I'm convinced they took all of the junk rock and dumped it on this property. <laughs> And so that's what's in our woods is all kinds of shale. And um, I have my pigs down in there now and trying to fence that off was an absolute nightmare. Um, one thing that's for sure. I didn't need to go to the gym for a long time. Find <laughs> uh, <laughs> a pound tee post into shale is a workout.
1: Yeah. Sound, yeah, it definitely is. So, so you, I mean, you make the use of the woods. I mean, you're able to forage in there. I mean, you obviously, you probably use it for some things like that, right? I just, I
0: keep pigs in there. Um, that's,
1: oh, the pigs run. Okay,
0: yeah. So we're, we do woodlot raised pork here uh, with with the American guinea hogs, and I still have, I would say, probably another half acre um, that I could and that I would like to uh, turn into more area for the pigs to. Um, you know, to, to, forage, but it's just always that whole time and money thing. Um, there's not, never enough of, of both. <laughs> how,
1: how many, uh, how many pigs are you running in there?
0: Right now. And, and I've, I've learned that pig math can almost be like bunny math. Um, <laughs> we, we've, we've had our boar breakthrough. Well, I can't blame it all on him. We've had the girls breakthrough in with him too. Um, and ad, ended up with a few, oops, litters. And at one point we had almost thirty pigs, Um, but we don't have that many now.
1: (laughs) Got a more manageable. Yeah. Does that does it? Are they? I mean, is there enough forage in there to support that uh, that many pigs, or is it uh, they tear it up pretty
0: good? Oh, if I if I had that many pigs in there on a permanent basis, they they would have it tore up. Um,
1: Yeah, that's what I figured. (laughs) That sounds like a lot. Oh, definitely. Yeah,
0: definitely not optimal at all. Um, Right now, what I have is I have I think about. Twelve. I have to go count. I've, I've sold a few off um, here recently, so I I keep on hand two sows um, and a boar on purpose, and then anything else I'm either growing out as feeders or you know I sell um, whole and half hog shares to, to friends and family and and any, basically anybody that wants it. Um, so. You know, we, we turn them over pretty good. We, we've not ended up with a whole lot of, of
1: anything left over. Um, we, we've been able to move, move. So you said you got into the, the pigs in what, uh, 2017, you said?
0: Yeah, it was, well, 2017, um, is when, yeah, I, I bought the, uh, it was supposed to be, uh, the boar and two sows. And the, mm-hmm. they, the sows had both each had a litter. And the guy that I was buying them from thought that he had all the piglets sold. And, Then that all fell through, and he needed to move the pigs quick. And so instead of coming home with three pigs, I came home with 14.
1: Whoa.
0: (laughs) I went from no pigs to 14 pigs.
1: So talk to me about that learning experience. (laughs) Yeah. uh, That had to be quite a change in your lifestyle. (laughs) Absolutely.
0: And it's something – honestly, I absolutely love the American guinea hog. It's something that um, I wanted to get into pigs for for a while. But I also – didn't want an animal here that I had, I had to be afraid of, that I was going to be worried about having my wife and son be around. And so when I read about the American Guinea Hog, I think it was in Grit magazine, I found a breeder that happened to be here in our town, um, which was kind of odd because the American Guinea Hog is still a relatively rare breed. And so anyhow, when I went down, she invited me down to her farm. I saw the pigs and I just absolutely fell in love. And, uh, so we, we brought them here, but, definitely going from having raised chickens which are fairly easy to kind of herd around and manage and keep where you want them um going to a larger animal like that definitely was was quite a bit of a learning curve and it's something that we're still learning to this day
1: Uh, yeah yeah i would imagine
0: we've had had good luck keeping them within the perimeter fence i've had some bad luck as i said with the boar going over with the gilts and the gilts coming over with a boar. Um, and it's taken me a little bit to learn those lessons that maybe I should reinforce that fence line because hotline doesn't <laughs> always stay hot. Um, so I, in fact, this past weekend, I put another piece of hog panel in between uh, them just to kind of reinforce that. Um, so that, that, you know, Learning how to keep a hot wire hot has been something that I've had to, you know, learn a, a little bit the hard way. Yeah. Walking the, the, you know, the fence line, I, I need to do that more frequently than I than I do because they'll get to rooting around as pigs do, and the next thing you know, they've got a log pushed up against it, and it's shorting everything out, and nothing hot. Um,
1: Smart animals, aren't they? Yeah.
0: <laughs> so that's there you yeah, that that's been a bit of a, a bit of a challenge. And then the other piece to it as well is understanding, you know, how to get them trained to a bucket so that if they do get out or if you want to move them from, you know, paddock to paddock, you can do it without, or you need to load them onto a trailer. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, those are things that you, you need to learn how to work with nature and not against it because those, you know, with a chicken, if it doesn't go where you want it to, Eventually, you can catch it if you got enough patience, and you can put it where you want it. Not doing that with right. a pig, especially not a full-grown boar or a full-grown sow. If they don't want to go, yeah, they're not going.
1: Yeah, like a lot your size within a woods, and probably uh, be a lot of fun trying to herd one of them things <laughs> if you don't have them trained to come to you.
0: Yeah, so th- that's you know that's one of those things where you again you I mean I remember we went to pick the pigs up and. uh I was used to, you know, with chickens, you get wide, you know, you kind of flap your arms and you can kind of get them going the uh, way you want them to go. It took me less than five minutes to figure out that with pigs, you don't move pigs that way.
1: (laughs) No, no. They, yeah, yeah, they, they, uh, if they got in their mind, that they're going to do one thing and you want them to do something different. Good luck. (laughs) I know that we had them. I mean, I grew up with them and I tell you, you just couldn't, you, it was hard to make them do something. That's for sure. Yep.
0: No, I've, A big part of the reason why we love the American guinea hog breed is because their temperament is a lot more docile. They're a lot more of a manageable, easy-going pig. Mm -hmm. Um, And and that's a big part of the reason why I was drawn to the breed in the first place. And so once you understand again, how to work with them and not against them and you get them thinking that, Hey, this is what I, I want to do because I want to follow that bucket of feed because I know it's going to be tasty then you pretty much can get them to follow you anywhere. And a couple of weeks ago, my wife and I and our our son, we were out at the local ski area and I happened to be on the lift and I pulled my phone out and I I saw a a text from a friend of ours that had stopped by to drop something off. And they said, Hey, you've got a pig out. And that was the first time we'd ever had a pig get outside our perimeter fence. And so Mm. we, we left the ski area, came home as quickly as we could. And there this sow was, uh, underneath the carport and she had gotten into a bag of trash and uh, she's going through it and so I ran over I grabbed the bucket and I put some spent grain in it that I get from a local brewery sometimes and I mean she took one sniff of that and I literally was sprinting across the lawn with her mind, <laughs> running as fast as she could and bam she was right back into her paddock and everything was was good um and I fixed the fence and and we've been happy since then. But the thing that was very scary about that, I didn't realize it till afterwards, my wife had cleaned out underneath the sink and she had found an old box of rat poison. And that box happened to be in that bag of trash. Thankfully the sow didn't get that far into it, but if I hadn't had her trained to a bucket, you know, she would have just said whatever and kept because she liked whatever was in the trash. Yeah. And and so that would have potentially been a, a very, very tough lesson to learn.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Now you, uh, so not just handling pigs, but now you said so you're doing something even, uh, you went kind of a step beyond. You're not like just raising them for your own meat. You're, you're selling some too, right? You said you sold a bunch earlier. Yeah,
0: yeah. So we sell them as, you know, I, I'll sell them to people that want to raise pigs out for meat. Um, so as feeder pigs.
1: Uh, okay. So you're not like, you're not getting them processed and selling the meat. You're selling the whole pig. Right live.
0: Yeah. Right. So, I mean, I've done it a number of different ways. In part, what I've been trying to do is figure out what my market is in this area
1: Mm -hmm. because
0: we do live in a relatively rural area and, you know, everybody, when they think New York, they think New York city. (laughs) Um, yeah, (laughs) we're, we're not New York city. And so, you know, the, the people in this area are relatively speaking more blue collar type people. Um, you know, they're not going to be, they're not people that can afford, you know, $12 and $13 a pound pork. Um, so trying to, you know, figure out what my market is from the standpoint of, do I just sell meat? Do I sell the feeders? And also keeping in mind that the the American guinea hog is, um, a rare breed that still is in, in, in a recovery phase. Um, Mm -hmm. I've been also selling registered stock for, for breeding purposes, um, to help the breed recover. So it's it's kind of been a little bit of a little bit of this and a little bit of that. But up to this point, I have tried to stay away from selling cuts of pork. It's like yeah. whole pigs, half pigs, or for people to raise yeah. Up themselves. Yeah,
1: it's a whole nother it's a whole nother uh, area of regulation that you have to deal with. I'm sure when you when you take it to that level, it's probably just a lot easier to to move a whole a whole live hog.
0: Absolutely. I mean, when you, when you get into, um, selling by the cot, now at that point, you have to, like, uh, use a USDA yeah. processor. And right. Yeah. I am very blessed that in my area, within less than, uh, an hour's drive, I have three, well, waited about an hour. I have three USDA processors. Um, there are some people that have to drive hours to get to a USDA processor. I have oh, one yeah. that's less than 10 miles from my house. So I'm very blessed in that regard. But on the other hand, some of them are, are booked six months, eight months in advance. Um, wow. You know, so it's, it's tough. It's tough to be able to, to do that. Now, the American Guinea Hog, because it is a slower growing breed, um, I can, you know, I know pretty much when I'm going to take them to be processed. And I can, I could schedule that if I wanted to. But then on the other side of that, you also have the labor that you incur if you're going to go to a farmer's market and sit around to try to sell meat, or mm-hmm. are you going to schedule pickup times on the farm for people to come and buy meat? Like, how are you going to work that out? I, mean, right. I just don't really want to do that.
1: <laughs> now you're raising a lot of other animals. You said you said, you got, of course, chickens, and you said rabbits. Uh, what else did you say? I mean, that was, was that all the animals you were raising, or did you have more than that?
0: We have geese. We have ducks. Geese. And Okay. And and we have meat birds, meat, meat chickens.
1: Okay, so you, you got both kinds going. Now, are you are all those for your own private uh, meat, or is it? Are you selling any of that product at all?
0: So I am selling. Um, I, I sell I sell a, a few meat chickens periodically. Um, it's one mm-hmm. of those things again where I've tried to offer them for sale to people, uh, and I haven't had a whole lot of takers. And part of it is just because. You know, people don't realize there's a real cost for raising real food. Um, it, it's, you know, they, they get used to the supermarket prices. And right. then when you say, Hey, I've got this great chicken, but it's going to cost you, you know, three times as much as what it would cost you in the store. That, that's a tough sell for, for, for many people, especially in this kind of a climate yeah. right now.
1: I hear a lot of folks, you know, talking about how you know you can, they you know they'll sell their whatever their product is for a real high price, and they they can't keep it you know in stock because they sell it out so fast and whatnot. But I just don't think everybody realizes it's not like that everywhere. I mean, there's just places in this country where people don't have a lot of extra money to buy food, and and they don't they don't go that extra level. In general, most of the people just won't you know, they won't spend that extra money for their food to get a higher quality food. They'll just settle. They'll settle for what's available in the stores. and in in a lot of places, it's actually like that where it's just hard to create that market, mm-hmm. you know uh,
0: and and it's and I think that's one of the situations and, and you know it's 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 something that I get though. I understand why you, know,
2: mm-hmm. I
0: do too. you roll into the grocery store and you've got twenty bucks, you know, I mean, I, I get it. I, I get why people. You know, it's a hard sell um, for some people. It's just you've only got so many, so many dollars and you got to make them make them stretch.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And then there's, like I said, there's some places where I mean, people don't even give a second thought to spend, you know, a lot of money on their food, you know, a high quality food. I mean, it just depends on the area and the kind of, you know, the kind of jobs that are in an area, the kind of, it's not even just the jobs. It's just the, the mentality of the people in an area. I mean, I, they kind of flock together, don't they? I mean, you just have places like that where people just think differently about their food and, and, and the quality of it.
0: Absolutely. and And I do think, you know, if I were to go to the next town over, um, I hate, hate to call it the next town over, but it's a little farther than that. But, um, it's definitely a, a wealthier kind of more well to do area. If I wanted really to go over there and, and try to build a market, um, to sell meat and so forth over there, I probably could. Um, mm-hmm. but I work a full time off farm job. Um, and then, and I'm involved in a lot of other stuff. I honestly don't have time to go try to do that. And, you know, yeah, you can try to use the power of the Internet. But even that, I mean, you 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 see what's happening on Facebook where they shut down animal groups. And a lot mm. of the, you know, even the Facebook marketplace sites have banned even the sale of meat. Um, yep. Yep. So a lot of that just becomes, um, it, it's just very difficult to do.
1: Right. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I still, they haven't, I mean, I still see, you know, eggs being put out there and things like that. People still buying those in, in a lot of places. And, but again, you know, I see some places where eggs sell for five, $6 a dozen. And around where I live, I mean, people sell them for 2 or $3 a dozen. I mean, it's just, you know, for, for, you know, uh, uh, free range eggs right off the farm. I mean, it's just some places that uh, go higher than they do in other places.
0: Yeah. We, we sell, we sell our eggs here. Um, and I usually will put a, I usually have a standout at the edge of the road and have an honor system. And up until last year, mm-hmm. and I think I had done, I think last year was my third or maybe even my fourth full season, um, putting the eggs out by the, by the side of the road until last year, I had never had, I don't think I'd ever had a, a, a dozen eggs go missing. I never had anybody try to monkey with the, the money box. And there were times when somebody might say, Hey, I'm a dollar short. Uh, and they might leave me two bucks. And then the next time they leave me four bucks because I sell them three bucks. So it doesn't. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I didn't have any issue towards the end of last season. We had somebody break into the, um, to the money box and just, you know, they just did a whole bunch of, it was, it was nonsensical. They, they actually stole the ice, one of the ice packs that I put in there. Now I have two ice packs in there. They stole one. <laughs> they left the other. It was it was the most bizarre thing. So I ended up wow. posting on on the, um, the local one of the local Facebook sites for our town. And I just said, hey, hey, folks, if you know who did this, tell them they don't need to bust into my egg box. You know, if they need food, if they need money, come down the driveway. We'll take care of. Them. Uh, and, you know, it was funny the, the the response that I got from people from this. I had I had I was out fixing the egg box the next day. I'm going to somebody stand by and hand
1: me a $20 bill. And- <laughs> people are, you know, I tell you what, and, and you hear a lot of the, you know, you hear a lot of bad things happen here and there in the world. And, but I'll tell you when, when push comes to shove, good people come out of the woodwork and will help you out and, and make up for all the bad. They really do. I've seen it so many times. You're saying this, I know you've seen it. I mean, it's just, you hear the stories over and over and over, don't you? It, it's
0: amazing. And it, you know, it was just, I had people say, Hey, I'll come buy eggs from you. And we had, we started selling, we had started selling vegetables, um, last year for my, my son. Actually, the proceeds for that were, were going to help him with his, um, Boy Scout adventures to fund some of the things that he's wanting to do. And, uh, mm-hmm. and people were like, oh, we, you know, we can, we can have that happen to a scout. We, we got to come support you. And so <laughs> in, in the long run, I think we ended up doing better as, as a result. And that wasn't my intent with. Regard-
1: so don't you wish they'd have broke into it a couple of years earlier? I mean, you may all of your money. <laughs> no, that's, that's horrible, but it's true. It is something, you know, something really good came out of something kind of bad.
0: Yeah. It's, it's just one of those things where, you know, pe- again, like you said, that the good people came out and, you know, the community just supported us in, in, in a way that was, you know, it was, it was special.
1: Um, yeah, that's good. That's great, man. I, yeah, I love hearing those kind of stories because it's just inspiring, and it's it's encouraging to know that, you know, because, again, it's so easy to see the bad, you know. Everywhere you go, you just see this, and you watch the news, and you hear it, and it just it gets exhausting. And you need these kind of stories. You need to hear about the people that say, no, we're not going to let that happen. We're going to make up for it, you know, and they do. They just they do all the time.
0: And I had people tell me, oh, you know, now you're going to have to put game cameras out there, and you've got to put video cameras <laughs> out there, and, you know, I said, okay, I've, I've done this for, I think it was at least three full seasons. It might have been my fourth. I don't remember. But one person, one knucklehead, you know, and then I had people tell me, oh, you just got to stop yeah. doing it. Why would I stop doing that because of one knucklehead? <laughs> you
1: know? Yeah. Um, More than likely, if somebody thought, because, you know, in. in Usually, if somebody did do that, they'd probably never go back because they would be thinking you would probably set up some kind of a security from there on out, so they'd probably never try it again anyway.
0: Exactly. Well, you know, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm, we're charging three bucks a dozen for eggs. We're not getting rich off of that. Trust me, we're not even breaking even three bucks a dozen. Yeah.
1: Paying, paying for the feed, pretty much. Huh? <laughs> yeah, and then,
0: and then you stop and you think about when in the winter time. Although we cycle our flock out every year, so our chickens never really stop laying. But in the wintertime, when things kind of dip, um, and at, at that point, I can't keep an egg box at the end of the road because it's going to freeze on me. So, you know, it becomes a little bit more difficult to sell the eggs. So in the mm-hmm. grand scheme of things, when I look at the cost of buying the chicks and the, you know, on the feed and, and the first five or six months when they're not laying and you're just putting feed into them, at three bucks a dozen, we're not, we're not even coming close to covering our costs. But that's, it's never been about that. For me, it's about providing good food to my community. And it's, it's about providing a, you know, to a certain extent, a service. Um, and we're never going to eat all of those eggs. They would just go so bad. I could, I could toss them to the pigs. They're good for pigs, but to me, that's a bit of a, I don't want to say it's a waste because you're turning eggs into bacon and we all love bacon, but, um, you know, again, for me, it's never been about the money. And so why in the world would I put a bunch of video cameras out there to protect $3 eggs? I mean, can you imagine the number of eggs I'd have to sell to pay for those video cameras?
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it wouldn't be worth uh, selling them, yeah. but it barely is anyway, really. But like you said, it's service to the community and puts good food on your table, and, and you, get the, you get the opportunity to put some good food on other people's table as well.
0: Exactly. And, and for me, that's a big part of why I – mean, I, we we raise and grow as much of our own food as possible, not because I feel like I'm saving myself a whole lot of money. I could go down to the local grocery store and buy a lot of commercially raised food for what we put in to, and, and then factoring our time on top of it. And you know, when you compare it against that, it doesn't even come close to to making sense financially. Um,
2: right. On
0: the other hand, though. I know what's not in my food, and to mm-hmm. me, that you can't put a price tag on that. And so,
2: yep, I when I can
0: grow a little extra and sell it to people at a fair price—again, I, I can't do it for free. I wish you could, but when I can sell it to people at a fair price and offer them good food that doesn't have all of the chemicals and uh, and 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 the and the garbage in it, um, I, I feel good about that. I feel like I'm healthy, so, so health, healthier.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So you're selling some some not just eggs. You're selling some vegetables at the stand too, or are you selling them at a farmers market, or how you, you doing that?
0: We we do it. As, we have a roadside stand. Again, last last year was our first year doing that, and so it was a bit of a trial and error. What would sell? What wouldn't? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but yeah, so we just sold everything at that roadside stand. Put vegetables out, um, eggs. We, we would put out there. The only thing that we don't put out there to sell would be our meat.
1: Yeah, right. How how large of a garden do you have?
0: So I have. I, I've done a, a. I'm somebody who I, I rarely garden the same way two years in a row. So I was like, <laughs> yeah. I can do it better. What if I tried this? Let me let me try that.
1: Um, so when we moved up, me too. I-, I experiment every year. I'm trying new things and experimenting with this and that. Yeah. Part of it is I get bored with
0: just doing things the same old way, but part of it is like, how can I do it better? How can I maximize my the, the yield? Um, you know, it's I, I just love trying different things. But when we first moved to this property again, because there's so much shale, so much rock, um, I looked at the ground and I said, there's no way we're going to be able to do the traditional, and I use huge air quotes here, of method of in-ground gardening. I'm like we had done for years at my grandfather's. And so I started out with, um, some raised beds and I discovered, um, Mel Bartholomew's square foot gardening book. And so mm-hmm. I used that methodology, um, predominantly and still predominantly use that methodology in my raised beds mm-hmm. up until, let's see, we, we started out with two or is it four by eights? And I think a couple of four by four beds. And then once I kind of discovered this whole world of homesteading, then I just, I was like, okay, I got to add more. So we added four more raised beds two years ago or three years ago. And I added four more last year. And I revamped my bed so that I had two four by 12 beds in the middle. So they have a total of nine raised beds. And then this year I just put in place, um, I'm experimenting with the root stout gardening method.
1: Or, yep. uh, why don't you take a minute, explain now to, to the listeners what that is. I mean, I I'm imagine there's a few people who don't know what that
0: uh, is. Root stout gardening? So, root-style yeah. root gardening is a deep mulch method um, that predominantly uses hay as, as a deep mulch. Um, it's very similar to a kind of a back to Eden style uh, of gardening, except back to Eden uses the wood chips. And yeah, right. So, with, with her, Ruth stout was a very quirky lady. Um, if you ever read her books, yeah. her books she,
1: yeah, she kind of, it was kind of, she considered it lazy gardening, just getting out there and just throwing things out there and seeing what happened. <laughs>
0: exactly. Absolutely. And yet she's, you know, had great success with it. Um, yeah. So, for me, I, I obviously, I, I, I like the idea, A, of lazy gardening, um, because who wouldn't? Um, but, yeah, <laughs> right. I want to try something different. And so, I had that, I had this area where I thought I, I could do a garden there, Um but I, and initially I thought about doing the back to Eden method, except that in our area, I've had a hard time sourcing wood chips. Um,
1: mm-hmm. yeah. and, and it, and, it's getting harder because so many people are using that method now that it just seems like everybody wants wood chips. So it's, it's harder to get them from electric companies and county highway departments and, you know, tree trimming companies and stuff because everybody's begging for
0: it. Exactly. Them. Yeah. And, and that, now in our town, I do have access. Well, I, I could have had access to them. Uh, a little bit more than perhaps other, other areas might, except that I would have to go there and shovel them in and shovel them out.
2: Mm -hmm. And,
0: you know, I'm, I'm in my mid forties now. I'm, you know, not as as keen on doing those kinds of things as I would have maybe 20 years ago. (laughs) So,
1: I hear you. I'm with you. <laughs> you
0: know, in fact, I cleaned up the the pig pen, uh, one of my pig pens, um, yesterday, and uh, thankfully I've got my tractor to do it. And even still, my back was killing me.
1: So, I just... <laughs> so, so the roost out method is definitely appealing to you because <laughs> she's like what like seventies and she was doing that <laughs> exactly,
0: absolutely. So I have a friend that sells hay, and um, I, I've been I've been buying hay for my pigs off of him, and um, he had a bunch of mulch hay uh, that uh, he was willing to let me have. And so I said, all right, that sounds like, uh, something for me to experiment with. And so that's our big experiment this year is, uh, is using the Ruth Stout method. I prepped the bed last fall. Um, and so what I did there is I put, actually it was kind of through the summer into the fall last year. We had chickens on it. We had ducks on it. We had turkeys on it and to really work that area over. And then, I spread out some of our homemade compost over the area and put down, um, hay, uh, probably a layer of you know, eight or 10 inches deep of hay. And I then let it set all winter long. And so now this, this spring, I've gone ahead and already planted some potatoes, uh, there. And I'm also, I've also planted some peas, uh, English peas on the fence line to use basically that... The, fence as my trellis which
2: yeah
0: it's a bit of an experiment again this whole thing is an experiment for me because i'm i'm trying to figure out okay if i grow these peas up the trellis is that going to call in the deer um Mm. you know so is it counterproductive for me to do this who knows um we'll find out but uh
1: yeah, like you said, you just everything's an experiment. You just got you don't know until you try. Exactly,
0: it. and so then I'm also growing. What I'm also doing in there as well is experimenting with growing some tomatoes, some peppers. You know, some of the things that I grow in my in my square foot garden beds, I'm also putting into this bed to see how they do, and to see, and to be to be fair, they they generally say you know your first year of any style of gardening may not be the best. Um, Mm
2: -hmm. a
0: lot of times it takes a couple of years of building the soil and and all of those kinds of things, um, to really see the payback on, on a particular method, methodology, unless you're going to a raised bed where you're putting in place, uh,
1: right. Starting off with what you want.
0: Exactly. So I'm keeping that in the back of my mind. Um, you know, because I do want to give it a fair shot. Well, again, for me, it's also a matter of saying, okay, you know, can I grow, uh, tomatoes over here, or does it not make sense to grow tomatoes here? Do beans do well here? Do they not?
1: I have a, I have a feeling it'll work out great for you. I mean, it sounds like you put the, you put the effort into starting a few months early, you know, letting it set over the winter. sounds like you I, – I, I would bet that it's going to be pretty successful for you.
0: You know, we'll, we'll see. I, it, again, for me, it's, a, it's an experiment. It's something fun. I'm not banking on um, having a huge harvest from this from the standpoint of, oh, my goodness, we're going to go hungry if this ground doesn't produce. Um, my, you know, I'm banking on my square foot gardens producing, you know, and again, if they don't, are we going to go hungry? Probably not. But in this, you know, era of uncertainty, I kind of feel like, um, I don't know if you've ever read the, uh, the little house on the prairie series, but, uh, in the book of the, yeah. the long winter when, um, Laura and Pa discover that muskrat, uh, house. And, um, I don't know if you remember that that particular part of the story, and uh, and the walls were built very thick. And Pa said something along the lines of, um, you know, they see something something bad coming, and they need to prepare for it, or they feel like they need to prepare for it. And then they went into the the whole long winter thing. And I don't know, just in this oh. whole coronavirus thing, I, I kind of feel like those muskrats. Where <laughs> Yeah, I think
1: I think a lot of people are feeling like that right now because uh you know, we're hearing lots of stories of uh you know, people can't keep seeds on the shelves and people are you know really uh yeah, the uh, the homesteading uh, sites and things. I I'll tell you in the Homestead Front Porch Facebook group that you're a part of that, that we're uh, in there. I, that thing has increased by a couple thousand members in the last just recent weeks. I mean, it's just amazing how fast that's grown because I think there's just such an increased interest in it because people are you know thinking you know we better grow some food i think there's a lot of that going around right now
0: and and to me it's it's up to this point i don't want to say i've played at it because i've taken it serious uh and i've always Mm -hmm. tried to you know again my goal was to try to maximize production and how can i do it better and, and all of those kinds of things but in the back of my mind it was like eh you know if it doesn't produce i'll go to the grocery store and buy some I'll go to the farmer's market and buy some i'm not gonna go hungry um,
1: it's nice to have that option.
0: <laughs> it, it, yeah, exactly, and and now it's kind of like you know, I, I don't want to, I want to be overly dramatic, but on the other hand, I'm like, is right. it, you know, am I going to need this to survive? Is this going to be the difference between yeah. going hungry or, or or having something to eat?
1: Anybody that knows me knows I don't really overreact to a crisis and and things like that. And I don't get, you know, I don't get too carried away or have a live in a fear of not having enough to eat. But, you know, I put in five more raised beds this year just because I'm like, you know what? I think we need to be growing a little bit more food. You know, it's just the way I was thinking, too.
0: And and the thing is, is if at the end of the day, this blows over and and I end up with with extra food, then great. That's food that I can either sell or give away or share, You, you, you know, um. We, mm-hmm. we can right. can it, we can dehydrate it, we can ferment it, We you know, there's a ton of stuff we can do with it. I mean, worst right. case scenario, I give it to my pigs and I turn it into pork.
1: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a good problem to have having too much of anything right. like that. Yeah. I mean,
0: I can feed my chickens, you know, so it, it, I don't feel like by adding, the you know, the roost out bad and, and trying to, again, work on making sure that I, I intensively plant the ground, um that I'm going to somehow come out on the short end of a stick. Uh, sure. You know, no, there, there are some places right now where I was reading an article today where some of the major producers, you know, the more big ad guys, um, you know, they're plowing crops under the ground because they've lost yeah. the contracts to restaurants and schools and all of those, you know, I, I'm a small guy. I don't have to worry about that. You know, that's not, not something that where I look at it and I say, Oh my goodness, I'm going to overproduce. And now, you know, there's going to be some kind of a crisis because I did that.
1: Yeah, the biggest crisis that'll probably come out for the the average person who is even growing their own food is is it's going to it's going to have an effect on prices probably on down the road.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: I, with all that that's going yeah,
0: on. Definitely, I, I definitely could see that. You know, to me though, as as you mentioned with regards to the growth of, of the, the the front porch um, homesteading group there and. Um, you know, I've seen it happen. I've seen it in a bunch of other uh, homesteading groups that I'm a part of. I, I think the, the silver lining in this cloud, um, or one of the silver lines in this cloud, is that people are um, understanding the-, the need to take control of, of mm-hmm. their own food, and how mm-hmm. how long that sticks with people. I don't know, but I have to believe that it's going to stick with some people. It's not going to stick with everybody,
1: right? But just- yeah, I mean I've been seeing it on uh, I've been seeing it on the on just the regular media. I mean, I've heard in on news stations and stuff. So I've seen two or three. I think I've seen three different stations. Have a segment on victory gardens, the new victory garden, you know, and they're talking about growing food, you know, in your front and backyards, or even if you live in an urban or suburban area. And, I'm, and to me, there's just nothing bad that can come from that, you know. I love to hear people uh, talking about it, and and a lot of people doing it. I think it's just great.
0: Absolutely, and you know, I've seen, you know, I've seen a few if you want to call them. I don't. I hate to call them hardcore homesteaders, but you know, kind of. I don't even know what you would call them, but people complaining about these new people coming in and taking their seeds and taking their, uh you know what? I'm like, I just want to shake those people. Like, this is a good thing. We've got people that are that have an interest in raising and growing their own food. How can this not be a good thing? You know?
1: Yeah, I just look. I look at it like this: if they're really that hard hardcore homesteaders, then they should probably have been saving their seeds anyway. Exactly.
0: Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's, that's definitely a good thing. And they, they probably if they weren't saving seeds they, they they should have had their seed order back in when most of us yeah, right January. <laughs>
1: Yeah. The, the the shortages on things haven't been caused by people who were prepared people who you know think ahead and are self-sufficient the, the shortage has been from caused by people who weren't prepared you know and they went out and grabbed things last minute and hit the shells on everything so if you you know if you, naturally if you're a homesteader i think most homesteaders we probably know are are pretty prepared people we we keep things on hand we keep you know we think ahead we think even a year ahead on a lot of things i mean we try to keep a lot of food in the cows we try to keep seeds you know put away for the, the next year i mean I always do and i think i think most homesteaders, homesteaders do
0: absolutely and you know another to, to be forward with you i you know there were there were some things when when you know i started looking at you know how prepared we were all of a sudden there were some glaring um weaknesses in my preparedness strategy that was very yeah. and i was like oh my goodness i never thought about that oh my goodness never
1: yeah i think I you know I think a lot of us are seeing the holes in our plans a little bit. I mean, this is definitely, cause we haven't really had, you know, these big, a big crisis, you know, recently and, and, you know, it's, it's definitely bringing a lot of things to light. I mean, there's, there's, there, for sure we're seeing the things that maybe we didn't think about before. So it's even good for us, those of us who would say we're more prepared for something like this. I think it's great for us because it opens our eyes up to the real needs, not just that, you know, what people like to think about. You know, it's like you can have all the canned tomatoes in your cabinet you want, but what are you lacking? There's other things too, you know, you might need
0: Absolutely, absolutely, and, and not only that, but you know, I, I had, and I think many people do. You know, you sit down and you know, probably December, January, and you're you're kind of architecting your 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 plan for your homestead for, for the next year, and mm-hmm. uh, and not to say that what what I had planned was bad. Don't get me wrong, but it, it was very apparent to me that some of the things that I had planned were not neat. They were they were definitely on the want list, uh, right. and yeah. I I had to pivot and you know kind of say okay this year you know in this time of uncertainty if we cannot tie our spend directly to raising and growing food or providing our need you know whether it's shelter you know but really thinking about the bare necessities what are your necessities what do you need to survive. Mm-hmm. If, if my if my spend can't be tied directly to that, then I need to really think twice about it. Uh,
2: yeah, I agree.
0: And that's not to say that I haven't spent money on things other than that. I certainly have. Um, but I thought twice about it. And some of the yeah. things that I had on, on my list yeah. as far as, as plans for the homestead, uh, they, they're pushed out for, for a time to be determined.
1: <laughs> yeah, for me, it's even been more about Uh, Like, not so much things, but even budgeting and money-wise, because, you know, you think – you know, you don't think about being off work for a couple of months. I mean, a lot of people are fortunate enough that their jobs, they can work from home, but there's a lot of people who, who don't have that option. And if their jobs go down and, and, you know, in most places, you know, they, you, you know, unemployment and things like that don't pay you near enough. If you're counting on that and you may be in a situation where there's not enough cash to go around. So I think it's a lot of folks have opened up their eyes to the fact that they need to put more cash back, you know, for to pay their bills with for two, three, four more months, you know, in case things happen. And, and I think that's just something, you know, I think there was an era of people, uh, you know, decades ago that really thought that way, especially after the Depression. I think for the following few decades after that, a lot of people really focused on that. But I think in the last 30, 40 years, people have really gotten away from putting back cash for emergencies like that.
0: That That's absolutely correct. And, you know, I mean, a lot of people – and, you know, the statistics show the number of people. I mean, the, the high percentage of people that live paycheck to paycheck um, yeah. is with – you know, less than a thousand dollars worth of savings, you know, if they were to miss a paycheck, it would basically bankrupt them.
1: Um, But even at that, is that enough? I mean, no one, I mean, it not a lot of people think about having six months put away for, for uh, not for retirement, but for, being out of work and you know paying your bills. No, people don't really think like that in general. I mean, there are definitely some people who focus on that and think a lot about that. I mean, there's a whole. Uh, Dave Ramsey has spawned a whole you know uh, group of people that you know really focus on that. But there, I would say most people don't think like that.
0: No, you're absolutely right. And you know, we we have as Americans we've we've really gotten spoiled. I, I, I mean, there's no other way to put it than that. Um, mm-hmm. Where you know we we've Lived lives where, you know, even some of the things that we thought we needed, um, really were wants. You know, in any other yeah. any other part part of the world, um, you know, we, we jokingly refer to, to to our first world problems. Um,
2: but there, there's yeah. a lot
0: of truth, a lot of truth to that. And, and yeah, you know, so you're definitely right. I mean, I think people have lived very much in this consumeristic type. Uh, lifestyle. And now you end up in a situation like this, where um, all of a sudden, you know, it, it becomes very apparent that maybe I don't need the next iPhone, maybe I don't need the next uh, game console or, or whatever it is, maybe I don't need that. Right. You know, what do I need? And that's where I think you see people pivoting towards, you know, raising and growing food.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I see it in my own life. I mean, I'm definitely noticing many things that, you know, it's like I definitely need to be not, not be, uh, might have a mind set towards just all the luxuries and be thinking about, you know, what you need and, and making sure you have that long term before you ever think about those other things. I mean, it's definitely something that's affected me and I've thought a lot about.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, again, you, you look, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm not glad that we're going through this situation as. as you know, I feel for people who are, are out of work. Um, I'm blessed right now where up to this point my company is able to survive and I'm able to work from home. Um and I'm very thankful for that. But I don't take that for granted either. Um but in the midst of a situation like this, again, I, I maybe I'm trying to be overly optimistic here, but you look for kinda of, again those silver linings in the cloud.
2: Mm-hmm. The hope is
0: that this will serve um, as, as a bit of a wake up call to people to, you know, again, to, to think a little bit more about what's really important. What, what do we really need? Whether it's, you know, time with your family, whether it's, you know, taking control of your food supply. Um, but I think those are some of the silver linings in the cloud that can be there. Um, and I think we're starting to see that, at least I'm seeing that in some of the and some of the you know the homestead groups and, and so forth and
1: mhm. Yeah, no doubt there's going to be some good come out of it. I mean there's plenty of bad coming out of it, but no doubt there's gonna be some good. It's just like what we talked about earlier. You get your money box broken into and the next thing you know, people come out of the woodwork and they start doing the right thing and helping people and you see the good come out of something like that. And and not that it was a good thing to to happen, you know, initially, but good comes out of it and this is the same way. It's not a good thing. Plenty of bad's gonna come from it, but yeah, I have no doubts there's gonna be some we're gonna see some good come from it for sure.
0: And I I think the other thing for me, and this is what has really been driving me even more so lately with the podcast than before, is, okay, now we've got all these people that are coming into this lifestyle that have absolutely no idea with regards to how to take care of a chick, how to uh, plant a garden, how to start you know. So how can I help people on that journey? Um, Because they're trying to become almost... Overnight, they're trying to get up to speed as far as being, you know, self-sufficient, self-reliant and, and all of those kinds of things. And so mm-hmm. how can I help people on that journey? Because my goal, and again, it's going to it's going to stick with some people. It's not going to stick with other people. But what I don't want to have happen is people mm-hmm. throw their hands up and leave defeated because I, I had an opportunity to help them and I didn't help them.
1: Yeah, let's transition to that for a minute. I mean, uh, you started a podcast a few months ago, and and you know you're talking about right now in this crisis, you know, it's a good help for people. But that wasn't going on when you started the podcast. Why did you actually start the podcast? I mean, what was your what was your motivation to go down that path?
0: My motivation, I think, was still the same. Um, in that yeah. I my I don't claim to be an expert in anything, and if you listen to my podcast, probably at least once an episode, I will <laughs> remind people of that. Um, but I know a little bit about a lot of things and I'm somebody who has an an insatiable curiosity. I'm always wanting to learn new things and try new things and experiment with new things. Um, Mm -hmm. and so my goal has always been to try to help people, um, on, on the journey towards self-sufficiency, self-reliance and sustainability. Those are the kind of the three S's that I talk about all the time. And, and I think mm-hmm. it's very important to focus on the idea that it's a journey. Um, it's not. It's not a destination. Um, and I think some people kind of get in their heads that some someday they're going to reach, just, you know, full on sustainability, full on self reliance, full on, you know, and and that's you know, it's it's just not going to happen. It, it's well,
1: there there may be some out there, but I've never met one.
0: Exactly. Of them. <laughs> exactly. Um, and, and in fact, I'm you know. Going back to the Little House on the Prairie, I'm, I'm a whatever, where am I am a 43 year old guy, and I love those books. I'm reading through them again right now, <laughs> um, and I was I'm, I'm reading uh, the the Little House on the Prairie book, uh, and um, you know Pa has to go to Independence to uh, get cornmeal and and tobacco and I don't know nails, and he brings back the glass and whatnot. And as I was reading that, I'm thinking, you know, to a lot of people, for whatever reason. Um, you know, monpa Pa Ingalls are kind of like the stereotypical, and it's bizarre because that, those books are what, 100, you know, about something that took place almost 150 years ago. But, you know, people still have that as the ideal as far as what a homesteader should be. And, and even Mon Pa Ingalls were never fully self sufficient. They were never fully self reliant. You know, they, they still had to go buy things from the store. Uh, so to have this mentality that somehow we're going to achieve that, I think it's foolish. But on the other hand, I think that we need to keep working towards that goal like that.
1: Yeah. Stri- striving for it can be pretty satisfying.
0: Exactly. You. So can, you know, can I make steps so that I, I, I am less reliant on, you know, a commercial food supply that has proven to be maybe a little less sturdy than what we thought it was. Um, you know, can I, can I take control of, of, um, my food supply in such a way that it's a sustainable system where I've got a rooster and some, some hens and I'm hatching out chicks and you know, push comes to shove. I've got a you know, theoretically a continuous supply of meat. Right. So, you know, that for me, the goal of the podcast has really been to encourage people in that pursuit. And, and I think piece mm-hmm. to it as well is in, this is something that I know is is very near and dear to your heart. And that is really that I believe anybody can do this. I don't think, you know, a lot of people think they need, when they think of homesteading, they think of the 5, the 10, the 15, the 20 acres of land in the country. You know, they think of it as a place.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and then on that land, you have to do all of these things. You know, you've got to have a family milk cow. You've got to have chickens. You've got to have a garden. You've got to can't. You know, like there's all of these things that you have to do in this place. And that's what makes you a homesteader. I don't right. think that's what it's about at all. To me it's like
1: Absolutely. It's,
0: it's a it's it's a it's a lifestyle and it's, it's a mentality of how can I work towards self sufficiency, self-reliance and sustainability. And that may mean that I'm planting in in a pot on my patio in New York City you know, that overlooks Central Park. I'm planting lettuce and maybe some tomatoes, um And yeah, it's not as much as what somebody might be able to do in upstate New York, but it's definitely better and it's going to taste better than what you could even buy at a farmer's market. So I, you know, and and then you, you kind of work your way out of that to, you know, the people that live in suburbia, even people that live in HOAs, you know, they can homestead too. You know, they're going to get creative. Oh, they do
1: it. (laughs) Do it at night when nobody's looking. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) They definitely, there's definitely things they can do. I mean, you can set out, you know, pots on a back patio and grow things in windowsills. And you know, I've seen people that couldn't do anything outside, but they could grow sprouts on a windowsill inside. You know, and and eat that on a salad. I mean, something. You know, or they just learn to cook from scratch and they buy the products they need to cook from scratch. And you know, and that's all they can do. But it's something. You know, it's something more than I would say the average person does these days.
0: Absolutely. I mean. It could be that they go to the farmer's market and they buy, you know, at the mm. end of the day and they buy up all of the, the the, produce that they, you know, the farmers couldn't sell and they bring it home and they can or they, right. mint, or they, you know, it could be that they figure out creative ways to plant edibles in their landscaping. You know, so maybe they're planting some, you know, blue, uh, what do they call it, the bright light Swiss chard. It's a beautiful plant. Yeah. You know, they can plant that in their front yard. Nobody would ever know.
1: They <laughs> see after munching on it like a goat, and they're thinking, what is that crazy dude doing out there?
0: <laughs> and the other piece to it, you know, I read a, I read a, um, an article on one of the homesteading sites of a guy who lived in HOA. He couldn't have chickens. Um, so what he did is he went and he bought a huge uh, aquarium, and he put it in his, in the middle of his living room. Now, I don't think m- – my wife is pretty easy going. I'm not sure she would buy into this. But this is what the guy did. He he bought this huge aquarium, put it in the middle of his living room, and he started raising quails. So now he's got meat, yeah. he's got eggs, you know. So sometimes it's just a matter of, of just thinking outside the box. You know, I, I read another article huh. of somebody who was raising rabbits in cages on their back porch, you know, so, and they were in an HOA. Um, so,
1: yeah, I've seen it many times. You know,
0: there's, there's a lot of things that you can do. Is it is it, is it optimal? No. But you're never going to have a perfect situation anyhow. I mean, my situation here isn't perfect. You know, right. I, I mean, that you look at the Joel Salatins who have these, you know, large pastures and they're doing the pasture, you know, they're bringing the cows through and then they're bringing the chickens through or maybe it's the other way. I think mean, it's the cows through and then the chickens through. Um, I would love to do a system like that. I can't. Now, does that mean that I can't raise meat birds? No. I just got to be creative. i do it a different way. And mm-hmm. So, you know, again, people, if they're looking for the perfect situation, they're never going to find it. And so, um I I really enjoy Jason Smith over at Coghill Farm. Uh, One of the things he always says, and I repeat it very often, is "Do the best you can with what you got." You know, you never to have a a perfect situation, and and that may mean that instead of feeding organic feed, you have to feed conventional feed. It is what it is. Do the best you can with what you got. Um,
1: Yep. Yeah, we 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 get wrapped up. We let uh, what we end up making our minds to be perfect, and we let that ruin. What is a really good thing sometimes, you know, because we think if it can't be the absolute perfect situation, we just ain't going to do it. And so often I think that keeps people from doing their best, you know, and and their best would be way better than than where they're at now. So it's like just do the best you can and don't worry about perfect, you know, because it's probably not going to be achievable anyway. And if it is, someday, I mean, you do the best you can right now because, you know, there was things I started doing. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. You know, when I first started doing it, I did the best I could, and I got better and better and better. And maybe it still isn't perfect, but it's way better than it was when I first started doing it. So you just start where you're at, do what you can where you're at right now, and, you know, work it out and learn and grow. And, you know, before you know it, you're you're definitely a little bit more self-sufficient than you were the day before.
0: That's exactly it. And, and the other piece to it as well is sometimes I think you have people who jump in and they and they want to be, I mean, I, I don't think it's just homesteading. I think it's any aspect of life where people <laughs> right. jump in and they want to be where somebody who's been doing it for 10, 15, 20 years is. They want to be there today. You know, they mm-hmm. don't understand that that person has, has learned so much through trial and error. And, you know, their first garden wasn't perfect. You know, they lost chicks. They had chickens die. Um, you know, they had, you know, they, they've made mistakes along the way and, and that's how they've gotten to where they're at. And so, you know, if you think you're going to jump in and especially people that are, are brand new to this and think that, you know, yeah. I'm going to plant tomatoes this year and I'm going to have a bumper crop, and then you don't, and you think you're a failure. No, you know, okay, you did not have a bumper crop, so learn from it. Okay, you know, what did you, what did you do wrong, or, or was it a weather thing, or you know, reach out to people and, yeah. and say, okay, how can I do it better next year?
1: Yeah, a good case of blight will solve them of that uh, theory. Won't have a bumper crop.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it's just you know what, I you know it, this is I'm going to tell on myself here a little bit. Um, the the last three years. Probably the easiest vegetable of all to grow, I would say, for most people, is zucchini, right? Um, they, they, they jokingly say that in Vermont, the only time people lock their doors is during zucchini season. Um, <laughs> in fact, I remember the first garden I ever had, I I you know I was relatively ignorant. And when I say ignorant, I'm saying that in a, in a derogatory way, just you don't know what you don't know. Um, and so I bought zucchini transplants at the at the store, not realizing that you could just stick seeds in the ground and zucchini would grow. Um, so I bought a six pack of, of zucchini and <laughs> I planted every one of them because I'm cheap like that. Um, if I'm going to buy six of them, I'm going to plant six of them. And my grandfather looked at me and said, Brian, I don't, I don't think you want to do that. Papa, if I bought six zucchini plants, I'm going to plant six zucchini. It wasn't very long. And I was pulling up zucchini plants because anybody that is growing zucchini knows that. Zucchini can be rather prolific. Now, I say I'm about to say this. In the last two years, I think I've been able to successfully grow one or two zucchini. I don't know what it is, I but I, I don't know if it's been Blossom and raw, but it is just my, I have struggled to grow zucchini and I have been gardening now since, directly gardening now since 2007. I've grown up around it my entire life and, you know, I'll own it. It's been a struggle to grow as a team. Um, so all of that to say that no, none of us have perfect gardens. From year to year, you never know. You know, another thing I've struggled with the last couple of years have been cucumbers. I have had cucumber those uh, blasted um, striped cucumber beetles. Just-
1: yep, that was last year for the first time.
0: I and it's like I, I mean cucumbers. How hard is that? Um, and yet it's. It's been a struggle. So again, I, I say that to say to people that are new to this that even people who are experienced. And again, I don't claim to be an expert, but I've been doing this a while. We all have our struggles. So if this is your first year of gardening mm-hmm. and things don't go according to your plan, don't don't flip out, don't trip out. It's all good, you know. Um, find a mentor in your area, find a mentor online, and and there are plenty of people. That are, are going to be willing to help you out, and and if you if you struggle to find people, you know when you're on Facebook, come on over to the front porch, the homestead front porch, yeah. and we'll help you out. We
1: Absolutely. Well, you've been dropping some uh, some great advice on us, man. I I really appreciate you you know getting out there and just just being open with us about your own struggles and, and encouraging folks. And you know I think uh, I think you just dropped some really good uh, inspiration on us today, man. I really I think it's great, and I I think that. Uh, in this time, people need podcasts like this and like yours and to, to learn and grow and, and, you know, do a little bit more and, and pursue that self sufficiency. So I'm glad you're out there doing it. I really am. I'm glad you're out there sharing sharing your, your journey and, um, you know, trying to encourage people to do this thing.
0: Well, I, I appreciate it. It's, again, it's something that for me, it, I absolutely love doing it. I, to a certain extent, I almost feel driven to do it. And, and that maybe is a bit over dramatic. It, <laughs> it, it, it's something that I, it, I, I, my, my son kind of gets, he kind of gets a little bit irritated with me because I eat, sleep and drink homesteading. I listen to homesteading podcasts. I watch homesteading videos. I'm always thinking about homesteading. I'm reading homesteading books. I, you know, it's something that just, I don't know, to a certain extent, maybe, maybe almost even an unhealthy way it consumes me. But, but I have this desire to whatever little bit I can do to help people, I want to do that. Um, because I, I do feel a sense to, you know, to whom much is given, much is required. And so if, right. if I can help other people on this journey towards self-sufficiency, self-reliance and sustainability, then you know, why wouldn't I do that? Um,
1: yeah. Sounds like you and I have an awful lot in common.
0: <laughs> absolutely. In fact, is it, you know, I, I, um, before I, I, uh, you know, jumped on here with you, I was kind of going through, going over your site again and just kind of doing a little refreshing and it was like. You you know just based on your bio, or we can cut out the grandfather part because I'm not quite there yet. Um, but other than that, I it, you know you could put basically put my my picture there, and I think it would pretty much um, describe me. Um, now the other thing as well yeah. is I'm not a cancer survivor, um, and uh, and I think that's really what led you, from my understanding, it's kind of what led you into this. That was kind of the catalyst for you. Is that?
1: I grew up with a love for it. Uh- much like you did. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was a thing that said get off your butt and get started no matter where you're at because, you know, I always was thinking, like you said earlier, looking for that 5 to 20 acres, you know, thinking that's what it was going to take. And, and then the cancer just kind of kicked me in the butt and said, no, you need to make do with what you got and get there and do it. And then I figured out, you know what, I, I can. It's You really can do it. and And once you do that,
0: then I think, I mean, obviously, you know, surviving cancer is an inspiration to people anyhow, but then – to show people that you can, you can do this on, on small acreage. You don't have to have the five to 10 to 15 to 20 acres of land. Um, you think that's also something that's very inspirational to people. I mean, I'm, I'm very blessed to have two acres here. Uh, and I mean, there are times when I wish it were more. Um, I, I think, you know, there's probably a sense to where many of us do. And then on the other hand, you know, I look at people that have a lot of acreage, and they spend so much time mowing lawn um, that they can't get anything else done. So I guess it's be careful what you wish for.
1: Yeah, I, I think all the time, uh, you know, I wish I had 10 acres or something, but then I often think about how I can barely get everything done on my little piece of property that I have to do. Exactly. And it seems and like. I don't know what I'd do if I had that kind of property. I don't know how I'd keep up.
0: Yeah, it. and, and it, it's so easy to get, you know, sucked in. I mean, the little bit that we do and and i and we do a lot but definitely i mean we don't have the cows and we don't have the you know the humongous um gardens you know row after row after row and and market gardening and all that kind of stuff um and you know it, it definitely keeps me busy
1: yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, Brian, I'm going to let you go, and I do really appreciate you coming on here and, and, and just sharing your story with us, you know, your journey and, and what led you down this path and, you know, everything you're doing. And I am to encourage folks to, to really run over and check out your podcast and, and you subscribe to it and listen to it and grow from it, you know, because I think you've got a lot of stuff to share with people, and um, especially folks that are really new to this game, I think that – um you know, I know there's plenty of them. we've been talked about that there's a lot of people just getting started and i think what you're offering is 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 really good for them and it's going to be it's just really going to help people out in their pursuits of of everything I and mean, you're doing things that i'm not doing you know I'm, of course i'm i'm doing some things you're not doing both of our podcasts can benefit a lot of people and, and you know and i think that uh, you know you got a lot to offer so i'm going to encourage people to, to head over and check you out and uh, and I do thank you for coming on here and sharing everything with us. I really appreciate well, it. Well,
0: thank you very much. It has been an absolute privilege and uh, an honor. And, uh, you know, I don't know about you, but I, c- I could talk and rather on about this for, for uh, <laughs> a, a long, long time. So, anyhow, I really appreciate
1: you. Uh, yeah, I definitely could, too. Uh, I know people probably couldn't listen to us as long as we talk about it, so I think we'll probably shut it off.
0: Absolutely. Good, good call. <laughs>
1: Well, I know you really enjoyed that, and uh, I will have all of uh, Brian's links in in the uh, show notes. You can find his podcast and his uh, his uh, Instagram account and things like that. Um in the show notes. And I'll also have a link to the membership. If you're still, if you're interested in following me or joining me on Patreon and getting some of those perks of being a supporter of the podcast. So all that'll be in the show notes. And I thank you, Brian again, for coming on. It was great having you. And you just got a lot of a good, uh, good information there for a lot of folks. So thanks. Thanks again for that. And until next time, folks, happy homesteading and God bless. I hope you enjoyed this episode to learn more or find more episodes. Just head on over to haroldthornbrough.com. Thanks for listening.